So if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, you know that we started a new series a couple weekends ago, and uh, we are covering the attributes of God. And this is, uh, it's an interesting series. It's unlike anything I think that we've ever done. Um, it's been uh, different for me, studying for a sermon. Normally, we walk through uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and so studying for this sermon series has been uh, quite different for me. Uh, it's been stretching me in a lot of ways, uh, and I think it's going to stretch all of us as well. So if you remember last week, we covered uh, the attribute of God that He is infinite. And so we talked about uh, how God is infinite, and we are not. We are very finite, so He is unlimited. We are very limited in how uh, it limits our understanding of who he is because we can't understand. We talked about this idea of infinity and how uh, even, even in language, it's, our language is limited, so we can't fully communicate the idea of infinity with language because language is finite. And so like we talked about all these different examples and our heads exploded um, talking about the fact that God is infinite. And we also talked about the fact that God is infinite in every one of his attributes. So it's kind of an overview of all of his attributes because God's holiness is infinite. God's power is infinite. His knowledge is infinite. All of these things that God is, he is infinitely. He's not finite in any way. He is infinite in every way. So today, uh, we're going to kind of piggyback on that. And we are going to talk about God being incomprehensible. Now, I, again, these are, I didn't think these up. People much smarter than me did. Um, I'm just attempting to relay them and to learn them. So, if, if, again, I said this last week, if I say things that sound like, man, Sam's smarter than I thought he was, I'm not. I read it somewhere. I'll attempt to give everybody credit. Um, I'm not that smart. I'm learning. We're, we're all learning this stuff together. So, uh, we'll just, we'll struggle through this, okay? Uh, so, the idea of God being incomprehensible takes us back to the most basic theological question that we can ask. What can we know about God? And we're going to talk about the two extremes as it relates to God being incomprehensible uh, later. And there are extremes, and some of you are thinking those already. Um, when I say, what can we know about God? You go, uh-oh, what kind of church am I in? Like, right? Um, so the, we can know things about God. I'll just put you at ease, right? But the term comprehensible does not mean that we are enable, unable to comprehend at all. It means, quite simply, that we are unable to fully comprehend. It's very, very important that we make that distinction. It does not mean that God is unknowable. It means that in no way, because He is infinite, we cannot completely or exhaustively know Him. But God has revealed to Himself to us in very real, very concrete, very... Uh, clear ways. And so we're going to kind of look at um, those two things today. Now, Scripture teaches that we can have a true, real, even personal relationship with God. So again, we're not talking about God being unknowable and completely incomprehensible. We're talking about the fact that we, in our knowledge of God and in our pursuit of Him, have to understand that we can never fully wrap our minds around Him because He's infinite. He is unlimited. We are very, very limited. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is what? 
unsearchable. Job 26, 14, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high are For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In our pursuit of God, in our study of God, we have to come to him with an understanding of this. We talked about this last week and we talked about it the week before. Kind of our intro into this series is if we're going to study who God is, we have to come to this study. We have to come to God with the correct attitude. And it has to be an attitude and a mindset of humility. If we ever come to a study of God, if we ever come to God with an attitude of arrogance or the mind says, it says, I know this and so God must be this, we reveal quite simply that we do not know him. We do not know him. Romans 11, 33 and 34. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And my favorite, Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord. If you remember Job 38, starting in Job 38, is God's answer to all of Job's uh, rantings and questions. And then Job answered the Lord after God's um, rebuke right, of Job. Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he quotes God back to himself a couple times. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then he quotes again, here and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job was realizing, as God communicated to him, you don't know what you're talking about. He realized his pride in coming to God and demanding answers to things that he couldn't possibly comprehend. And when Job sees that, he says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, And of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a spirit person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So one of the things we're confronted with as we read all of these different passages, and we could just do this, right? I could have just done that for 40 minutes, just... Read verse after verse after verse that pertains to this fact. But what we see quite clearly here is that um, not only is God's whole being, God himself, 
incomprehensible, but each one of God's attributes are incomprehensible. Each one of God's attributes we can understand, but only to a limited degree. I cannot comprehend God's holiness to its fullest extent because it's infinite and I am very finite. It's unlimited and I am very limited. So not only is God, right, each one of his attributes, each one of the parts of him that make up this whole, which are his whole, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, I know it doesn't make any sense, because we're finite. Each one of those things is incomprehensible to us. We can only know what he reveals to us. So, one of the questions that I always ask when I'm confronted with this is why? Why is God incomprehensible? Yeah, I understand that he's infinite and I'm finite, but couldn't he make me as infinite God? Couldn't he make me able to understand, right? Um, the first answer is quite simply that, God is infinite. And for me to understand something that's infinite, I would have to be infinite, right? At least in my understanding, but I'm not. So because God is infinite and I am not infinite, we are very finite, we are very limited in our understanding, we cannot fully comprehend who he is. And so we have to trust him. This is why we have faith, because we cannot fully comprehend. If we could fully comprehend, we wouldn't need faith, because we would know. If we were infinite, we wouldn't need to have faith. Because we would know. One of the things that I was thinking about in this is that uh, we live in a physical world, a created world, a limited world, created by an infinite being. And so sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that, well, in this world, when our time here is done, when Jesus comes back and takes us to heaven, uh, then we are going to, like, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to know all things. But nowhere in the scripture does it say that when we get to heaven, that when we spend eternity with him, which, by the way, will still be in a physical world, right? It, the, physical, the physical world that we now exist in is not going to poof, disappear, and that we're going to be spirits floating around in the spirit world uh, forever. We are going to be living in a physical world for eternity. And at no point in eternity will we become infinite. What we will become is what we were intended to be, fully trusting in the infinite nature of God. Nowhere do we, do we see that at some point we will fully comprehend there are passages that see that we see dimly now, but we, then we will see clearly as face to face. So we will understand much more fully than we do now. But we will never be infinite. We are finite. We are created by an infinite being. Um, the other giant reason that, that confronts us right off the bat is that we're sinners. We cannot fully comprehend God's holiness as sinful beings. In fact, Romans 1 has some very 
uh, pointed things to say about that. In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul saying our sin prevents us from knowing God as deeply as we could. Our unrighteousness suppresses the truth. But isn't it funny how we as humans want both? Right? Again, we've talked about Genesis 3 a lot over the last couple of weeks in all of this, but isn't that what Adam and Eve wanted? Isn't that what they were reaching for? But our unrighteousness suppresses the truth. It does not reveal it. We cannot take it by force. And lastly, God, in His sovereign, infinite, incomprehensible wisdom, chose not to. He chose not to reveal everything to us. And sometimes that can get a little bit... uh, that rubs us the wrong way. Like if God was really loving, he'd want me to know the things that were coming. He'd want me to know the reasons that these things happened. But most of us, I mean, most of us in the room are parents, right? And because there are kids in the room, I won't go down the list of things that we don't talk to our kids about when they're four. But it's extensive, right? Why don't we do that? Because it would be unwise. Our children's minds and our children's hearts are unable to comprehend, to fathom, or to carry the load of those things. And so God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to withhold things from us that we cannot comprehend, that we cannot fathom, and that we are not built to carry. There will come a day when we, more and more and more of who he is is revealed to us. But we have to understand that he is a good father. He is a loving father. And because of that, he has limited what he has revealed to us. And again, just like our kids, we are constantly pushing those limits, aren't we? We talked about the, that last week, how we are limited, but we're constantly pushing against those limits. And faith is simply trusting that God has revealed to us exactly what he wants to reveal to us and exactly what we need. Nothing more, nothing less. And we simply have to trust him. So because God can never be fully known, this should, that, that fact should, alone should drive us to humility. And yet, in our sin, it drives us to arrogance. In lots of ways. But that fact should drive us to humility as we seek Him because we can never fully comprehend. Because this is like you've been there, or you know somebody that has been there or is there, right? They think they know everything that there is to know about the Bible, and they love to tell other people uh, everything that they know, right? Revealing their arrogance and pride, revealing the fact that they truly don't probably know God as as much as they think they do. Because as we dive deeper into the knowledge of God, it should reveal to us more of who He is and more of who we are. And that should not ever cause us to become arrogant or pride 
prideful. Because if we become arrogant and prideful in what we think is the knowledge of God, then we reveal that we don't see ourselves at all. Because who we are in light of who he is, is, right, what did we talk about last week? Dust and grass. Is here today, burns up and is gone tomorrow. And so two weeks ago, we talked about this fact. As we go through these attributes, it's not to puff ourselves up with knowledge. It's so that we can humbly fall at his face, on our faces before him. Because he is infinite and we are not. He is incomprehensible. And we can understand what that, I mean, if you're married, you understand this idea of incomprehensibility a little bit, right? Anybody says, I know my wife perfectly. I've got her figured out. I don't think that there's any dudes in this room that would say that. I mean, they might, but then, right, that would reveal their arrogance and we would humble them or their wife would. We, un- we understand, we just, we're just not willing to accept this. We understand the idea, at least in a limited sense, we understand the idea of incomprehensibility. We're just not, limit- we're just not willing to accept it. One of the things that we have to understand about the, the knowledge of God and the incomprehensibility of God, right? Both totally true. We have to accept and understand the mystery that comes along with these things. There's so much mystery around God. If you think about some of the truths that we know about him, the Trinity, anybody want to explain that to me? We know it to be true, and yet there's so much we don't know. There is so much mystery. The divine and human natures of Jesus. Anybody want to explain that to me? Well, I mean, we can explain it partially, but there is so much about that that is hidden from us. It is a mystery. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Anybody want to explain that to me? And yet both are fully true. There is so much mystery around all the truths of God. And yet we can know these things clearly. Why? Because he has revealed them to us. He has told us things very clearly so that there are things that we can know concretely and surely about God. There are things which we can die for. That's how much we can know these things. Luke chapter 8, verse 10 says, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus is communicating two things. That there's, a, there's a mysterious sense to the things that he's telling the people. Right? And number two, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, the things that we know about God are revealed to us. They cannot be taken. We can, we, we can spend our entire lives studying God, but if we do not humble ourselves before him, we will not know him. And because the vast majority of the people that came to Jesus, especially the teachers and the Pharisees and the priests, they came to him in arrogance, and so he told his disciples, uh, 
and seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Because they were refusing to humble themselves before God. So here's one of the things that I've discovered. As we talk about God being incomprehensible, and then we talk about the knowability of God. The things that God has revealed to us should drive us to delight in him. That's why he's revealed these things to us. These things should drive us to delight in him. Jeremiah 9 says, uh, in, in, 20, in verse 23, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not, not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's crazy. Did you hear what he just said? Like that, that end. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In what things? In what things does God delight? That I, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth. So he's saying, I delight in these things. You should delight in them too. If these things are great enough for the infinite God to delight in, aren't they good enough for us to delight in? God has revealed these things to us so that we can delight in them above all else. And yet we want to use them as weapons. Right, the things we know about God, we use to prop up our own sense of self-worth and our own sense of knowledge instead of simply delighting in them with a heart of humility. Galatians chapter 6, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why would Paul say that the world was crucified to him? Because of Jeremiah chapter 9. He saw something that was much more valuable. He saw something that was worth delighting in that made everything that the world had to offer pale in comparison. And Paul kind of had it all, right? Status, like power. I mean, Paul kind of had it made. And yet he found something that was more valuable. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, I'm going to read it again. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. We just described Paul, right, before he met Jesus. But let him boast, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Because Paul understood and knew Jesus, he said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When we begin to see God for who he really is, it reveals itself in the way we live our life and in the things that we value. 
And we cannot say we truly know God as we are pursuing nothing but what the world has to offer. Those two things cannot be true. This is what Jesus meant when he said you cannot serve God and money. If you know me, that's not going to mean anything to you. If you're serving that, it reveals that you don't know me. We can know him. We cannot fully comprehend him, but we can know him. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That's a giant and bold statement. Paul's saying that God has revealed himself through the things that are made. And yet, again, remember two verses ago in, verses, in Romans 1, verse 18, it said that by that unrighteousness they suppressed the truth. We also talked about this last week and the week before, that we walk to the Pacific Ocean and we say, man, that's amazing. No, the one that made it is amazing. The one that holds it in the palm of his hand is amazing. And yet we want to worship the creation instead of the Creator. We are without excuse. He has revealed who He is through what He has created. We can see His divine nature, His eternal power through everything that has been made. He has revealed Himself to us. We are without excuse. What God has revealed about himself should cause us to have strong convictions. Should cause us to have strong convictions. Right? Starting with Jesus. God revealed himself through the Son. We can have a strong conviction about that. When we talk about God being incomprehensible, we are not going to the extreme that says, well, we can't really know who God is, so we can't really say what truth is. That's just not, that's simply not the case. God has revealed things to us in his word and in creation very, very clearly. And here's the other way God has revealed himself to us. Us. God has revealed himself to us through us. We're going to get to that in a minute. That sounds weird, but it's totally true. So the first extreme that we have to hold ourselves from drifting to is the extreme that just says, oh yeah, you know, God's unknowable. God's incomprehensible. And we start, we start using phrases like, who's to say? God's to say. And he has said very clearly. And the other poll simply claims that we know it all. Again, we've been there and we know people that are there. This is what God is. This is what God is like. We have to understand that, yes, God has revealed himself to us very clearly about certain things but in a very limited way. And so we have to approach those things with an unbelievable amount of humility because we don't 
fully comprehend him. So one of the ways, and I read this this week, and it just kind of opened my eyes. Uh, one of the ways that we steer clear of he, these errors is when we understand that our language about God is built on analogy. Uh, an analogy, like our definition of an analogy, is simply a comparison between two things, typically for the purpose of explanation or clarification. R.C. Sproul, much smarter than me, said this, We can say what God is like, but as soon as we equate whatever it is that we are using to describe God with His essence, we have committed the error of thinking that the finite has, cont- finite has contained the infinite. Understanding that we can re- relate to the Lord by way of analogy solves the problem. We have to understand that the language that we use to describe God is limited. It's simply an analogy. Our language cannot fully describe Him. We can only describe Him, describe him by way of analogy. And we have to understand that it's an analogy, right? It's not God Himself. As soon as we... As soon as we equate God with the analogy, we've tr- attempted to put God in a box. Genesis chapter 1. This is what I mean when I said God has revealed himself to us through us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You and I are created in his image. We are image bearers of the infinite incomprehensible God. R.C. Sproul again. In some sense, human beings are like God. That makes it possible for communication to occur. Because we are made in His image, R.C. Sproul says, because we are made in His image, communication can occur. God has built this capacity for communication into creation. We are not God, but we are like Him because we bear His image. And we are made in His likeness. Therefore, God can reveal Himself to us, not in His language, but in ours. He can talk to us. He can communicate to us in a manner that we can understand, not exhaustively, but truly and meaningfully. You and I have been created in the image of God. That is something that we have to hold tightly. It means that we are valued. It means that the infinite God values us enough to create us in His own image. I've tried to to equate this with uh, childbirth, but it's just it. Like, I don't. I didn't create my kids. You could say that they're in my image. People go, oh, they look like you. They definitely act like me sometimes, unfortunately. Right? You could say that they're kind of in my image to a limited extent. 
but I didn't create them. The unlimited, infinite, incomprehensible God chose to create you and me in his image out of nothing. There's something very real about him that he has revealed to us in that fact, right? The fact that God created us in his image reveals to us his love and his grace, his power, his infinite wisdom. And as, we, as you read and study the human body and all the things that it does, did you know there's still, like I read an article like 10 months ago that said they're discovering another organ? Wait. Seriously? Yeah, it's like another layer of skin that we didn't see before, but now we know it's there and it does all this stuff. Dude, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we discover these things in ourselves and in creation, it shows us who he is. It reveals him to us. He has chosen to reveal himself to us in those ways. But most of all, he has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word, in our language, through words. What a loving God we have. What an infinite God we have. What a, what a knowledgeable, what a wise God we have. So my challenge to us, as we can, not just in this sermon series, but in our lives, in our daily lives, is that we would seek the ways that God has revealed himself to us. That we would not sit back and go, oh, well, God, I can't understand God, so I guess I just, you know, I'm not, or I'm not smart enough. I hear that a lot. I'm, not, I'm just not smart enough. You are made in the image of God. There is nothing that you can't comprehend that he has not revealed to you. Did I say that right? Or is that just more confusing? So that fact should drive us to praise him and thank him daily for who he is and what he has given us. I mean, we could talk about this for days and days and days and days. And here's the, the right? Here's the fact. We should. Our conversation and our thinking and pondering and wrestling with these things together should not be limited to Sunday morning. It shouldn't. We have a small group that meets on Friday night, and they were debating about where I was going to go with this, if we're going to walk out of here all postmodern at the end of my sermon. I think they knew better. But they're wrestling with these things outside of Sunday morning. By the way, here's my weekly plug for small groups. That's why they exist. So that we can wrestle with things and we can learn more about God through each other and through his word and we can grow closer together as a community, which is what we are. So join a small group so that you can know more about God as he's revealed to you in all these different ways. That's not just a plug. That's totally true. And it's something that we deeply believe. I'm reading through the book of Acts right now with my kids. And again and again and again it comes up. They were together daily. They were together daily. They had all things in common. Right? 
we as the body of Christ were created to exist together. Not on Sunday mornings only. As we press into him, we necessarily have to press into each other. So we're going to sing some more. And man, as we do, I just want us to praise and thank him that he has revealed himself to us, that he has made himself able to be known by you and by me. We can know him, praise him, and thank him as a community, and we can know him personally. Amen?